This week on Sequential Fiction, we're talking about our upcoming big show. We're going to touch on the new Rogue One trailer, and we're talking comic picks of the week, and... We're talking about the next major Marvel movie, Doctor Strange. All this and more on this week's Sequential Fiction, and it starts now. It's the Sequential Fiction Megacast, delivering you the greatest in pop culture and comics. They are dedicated to battling the forces of evil, delivering goodness and eradicating boredom wherever they find it. They are the warriors of sequential fiction. Sequential fiction is brought to you by the Forest City Comic Con, November 5th and 6th at the London Convention Center in London, Ontario. Come and see a live recording of the Sequential Fiction Megacast and visit our booth on the show floor. Show us you've subscribed to Sequential Fiction to get a buy one, get one free coupon on anything we have in stock. Visit Forest City Comic Con online at forestcitycomiccon.ca. Welcome back to Sequential Fiction. I am Brian Garside and with me is Megacast Master Liam Nickerson. Welcome to the show, good sir. Yo, yo, yo. How you doing, Brian? I like that. Yo, yo, yo. How's your last couple weeks been? They've been pretty good, um, but I've been itching to get back to podcasting, so I'm stoked about tonight. Well, you are back, sir. Hey, are you excited about Forest City Comic Con, which is coming in just a scant three weeks? Um, I am nervous about it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm too excited, but yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, too. I'm going to try and get there, like in the next week or so and see if I can kind of suss out the room and figure out how we're going to record it to the best of our ability. Cause I, I really want good audio quality. So uh, I've got a really cool little zoom microphone that I hope I'll be able to record some good stuff, but we will, uh, we will definitely see it's going to be an experiment. I'm going to try and seed it with as many of our own people as, as possible. All right. I don't know whether that makes me more or less nervous, really. <laughs> we're going to have to start thinking about what we're going to talk about for that episode. We'll have to, it, it's got to be one of our like kind of hot button topics, too. I know I'm going to try and get us a couple of guests. I'm going to talk to my friend Deanna about possibly coming on. Maybe Chris McGinnis, who used to run uh, Uber Cool, and he's, he's involved heavily in Project Play. So that that would that'd be nice if we had a couple of guests we could kind of chat with. Take some of the yeah. pressure off of you. That would be cool. Um, <laughs> the uh, the other thing I thought we could do, <coughs> and I don't know if we've done this before, but that shows how many podcasts we've actually done all of a sudden. But um, it would be cool to talk about like genre, kind of like fanboy films that are completely overrated in our estimations Ooh, and compare. That's them. interesting. That's interesting. Our our five most overrated films we can think of. It would be pretty controversial because I know my number one is a, a ton of people's favorite film. You know, we could do the opposite of that, too, and do our five favorite guilty pleasures. Or underrated films. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. one. That's maybe better because then you don't like run the risk of... Anyway, it would have been 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think that movie is so overrated. I can hardly... Uh, it's wow. unbelievable. Wow. Hey, you know, I, I don't know if I told you this, but we watched uh, the original Planet of the Apes with the kids recently, and they loved it. They thought it was amazing. Oh, it's such a great movie. It's scary, too. It is kind of scary. Yeah, it was It was very cool. That, I, I is really it liked. Jerry Goldsmith who did the score for it? And that sort of, 
like the percussion instruments and yeah i think you might be right yeah. it's really a creepy score hey i also realized that in two weeks it's uh ha- the episode will be coming out on halloween so i think we need to do a horror themed episode in a couple weeks an excellent idea i think we should do our five scariest movies because we did last year we did like like five best horror movies but i don't think those are necessarily the scariest because my scariest movie of all time is not on that list neither is my number two so i think that might be cool that's interesting i don't think my two scariest films are on my list either that's interesting yeah so so maybe that's a thought scariest movie so you're everybody that's listening is kind of getting a preview of the next couple shows well done yeah no doubt Hey, speaking of previews, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking comic previews this week, and I've I've got some pretty extensive lists. Where do people find the show notes for this uh, this episode of Sequential Fiction number forty five? You can visit us online at sequentialfiction.com. Okay, at sequentialfic on Twitter. All right, or sequential. I guess it's facebook.com slash sequentialfiction on what? Facebook. Wow, those are those are some good places. I think I'll go check those out. I agree, they are good places. We'll also have some more information about our appearance at the Forest City Comic Con, where we'll be, how you can uh, see us, uh, and much, much more, including a little little special that I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to have a booth there, so I plan on having a coupon that if you bring me your mobile device showing me that you have subscribed to Sequential Fiction, I'm going to let you buy something and get something for half price. That's... That's my my treat to you, the people. Yeah, so my um, point I'd like to bring up about Forest City Comic Con is it's going to not be very good, so please don't come to our podcast. <laughs> He's so nervous. I love it. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. What are you, who are you kidding? Yeah, uh, okay. Hey, let, let's, talk about, let's talk about um, some cool stuff that came out this week. Did you see the new Rogue One trailer? I did, sir. What did you think of it? Uh, well, thinking back on it now, it didn't stick with me too well, but I really liked it. I did. It was interesting because it it actually told us a little bit more of the plot for the first time. And we saw like, um, Jen, I think her name's Jen Urso, her dad, who supposedly is the mastermind behind the Death Star. And it looks like he's kind of done it against his will. Um, so that was interesting. We saw a little bit more about some of the characters. There was some cool fight scenes there there's the the one dude is apparently such a great shot that he can shoot like seven or eight dudes with a with a rapid fire blaster that looked really cool so yeah it uh it looks really interesting i i'm looking forward to it i think this is going to be a a great movie i read an interesting article and it's not going to give anyone very much insight because i don't remember the names uh from it but is it diego luna who plays one of the characters anyway um there's a couple characters there whose names are only slight uh, deviations from a couple of video game characters who are fan favorites. Hmm. And uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting aside. Unfortunately, I can't shed any more light on it because I don't remember who the characters are. And I wasn't familiar with the video game itself. But Interesting. Huh. Yeah, so yeah, it's worth Googling that. Some of the some of the games, like I, it's funny how they've, they've brought a whole bunch of the characters from the games and the extended universe into this kind of rebooted universe. Cause when the force awakens came out, they decided that they would jettison all their history. 
but with the Rebels show, they they're introducing Grand Admiral Thawn Thrawn this year. Um, they've introduced so the dude who is uh, who Forrest Whitaker plays. I forget his name off the top of my head, but he was in the Clone Wars, and so he's basically thirty years, I guess, later. 20 years later i think the clone wars is 20 years yeah so forrest whitaker's character is about 20 years later after the clone wars character so that's kind of interesting too um yeah it's 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 cool how they're kind of merging all these timelines back together why don't we uh why don't we talk a little comic picks of the week i i want to talk yours first because it sounds really interesting all right <laughs> um this week i picked up and read uh from Comicology, it's available in Comicology, Amazon, uh, Google Play, and iBooks. It's uh, sort of a Roman noir called Tyler Cross. It's by Bruno. Uh, the art's by Bruno, and uh, the script's by Fabian Nuri. Uh, neither is a cat I'm particularly um, knowledgeable about, but it just sort of looked in my wheelhouse. It's about uh, this sort of noir character going to prison. And uh, he's kind of set up on a job, and he has to survive and escape from prison. Uh, it's really neat. It has a really kind of uh, unique kind of art style that's that's similar, though, in parts to some of the Parker stuff that was done mm -hmm. and some of the Brubaker crime stuff. So it's a really kind of like clean art style with a lot of shadow. And uh, what I thought was neat was it didn't sort of overplay the darkness of sort of prison, the way some stories will, like if Mark Miller had written it, it would have just been way over the top, um, although probably accurate. But this is more, I mean, it doesn't shy away from some of the realities of the life in prison, but at the same time, it's also, uh, it's also feels kind of gritty and real, which is surprising for a comic that's clearly a, a Roman noir. And I mean, the ending is, is a little bit over the, not a little bit over the top, it's over the top. But yeah, I really liked it, and I thought what's interesting is the main character is pretty irredeemable and pretty violent guy, but he's sort of the best of all the guys in the book itself, so, cool. so it's pretty hard to sympathize with anyone uh, beyond his character, and even his character, it's kind of questionable whether you sympathize with him or whether you just sort of kind of, you must because you do kind of want him to get away with his stuff. But uh, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it's I, I I've never read it, and I only became aware of it because you emailed it as your pick. And uh, the art style is really Darwin Cook, and mm -hmm. the the color palette is really kind of Ramon Perez, you know, like the mm -hmm. the Tale of Sand, very similar to that. I so stylish, and this is amazing. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up after. The uh, it was only released recently too, September twenty eighth, twenty sixteen. So it's a, originally a French graphic novel, mm -hmm. um, and so it comes from Europe Comics in, on Comicsology. So yeah, I could only find originally uh, French stuff until you said, "Hey, check out Comicsology." I was like, "Oh, duh." <laughs> it's usually the first place I go. So. Um, and they they released the first volume August seventeenth, twenty sixteen. So it's fairly new in uh, North America, but yeah, it's super cool, man. I really like this. I'm I'm looking forward to reading it. Cool. My pick 
is a brand new comic from uh, Mark Millar and Greg Capullo. So Mark Millar, everyone knows, is the guy behind Kick-Ass, Kingsman, Secret Service, Wanted, just tons of... He's created so many IPs in the last, like, probably decade that have gone on to make good, solid money. Not to mention Civil War was his. Uh, The Ultimates version of Captain America became the origin of Captain America for the Captain America movie. So, you know, he's done some really cool stuff. Plus he consults on the X-Men movies. Um, and he's just, he's a really interesting writer. I think he's one of the, one of the best writers. Well, I think I even picked him as one of my top five writers mm-hmm. of, uh, the, the 20th century, especially, um, Greg Capullo, a little bit less known, but he he did a ton of stuff on Spawn. And for the last probably, I think, three or four years. Well, actually, no. So since 2011, he's been the main artist on Batman. Just stopped about, uh, well, just before the Rebirth stuff. So I guess three or four months ago. Uh, and this is what he said he was going to do for the next six months. And then he's going back to DC to work with Scott Snyder on an unknown uh, Batman project hmm. uh, in about six months from now. So for the next six months, we get this and it is really neat. It's about, it's a sci-fi fantasy story where, huh, how do I explain it? Um, when you die, you basically go to this fantasy world and you live another life. And so this, it starts out with like an 80 year old woman who doesn't want to die, doesn't want to die. She believes that when you die, the light switch goes off. Of course, she has a stroke and dies. Light goes out and suddenly she's this savior in this other world. And it's super cool. It's it's really great. And so she's going to be meeting all the people who've died before her because that's the first person she meets is her father who says, let's go see everyone else. So yeah, it's Man, it's going to be such a great ride. And Capullo's art is just amazing. He's just such a great, in the the Todd McFarlane vein, but I think he's he's just a better draftsman than, than McFarlane is. McFarlane's no slouch, but he's a very stylized artist, whereas Capullo's got just good, solid, kind of Jim Lee bones about everything that he builds. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, definitely a great pick, and... Looking forward to the next five issues. Yeah, I mean, looking at his art, um, just because I've obviously read a bunch of stuff by him, but it, his name doesn't come to my mind as, yeah. uh, like, right away as, like, an artist whose work I would remember right away. I don't mean to say that it's bad by any means, but looking at him, yeah, it's really spectacular art. And the one thing, I mean, I don't know um, how he kind of compares an age to guys like McFarlane, but, like, McFarlane, Jim Lee, to an extent, and a bunch of those kind of uh, guys who kind of redefined how you draw comics in the 90s, like late 80s, early 90s. Um, the, a lot of those guys get stuck in that style. I feel mm-hmm. like Todd McFarlane has sort of drawn the same kind of guys for, you know, 20 years. That's not to say they're bad by any means, but he's just really distinctive. I mean, Jack Kirby did the same thing. Yeah. Um, so if you like the style, it's cool. But Capullo's art, I mean, even just looking at the draftsmanship, you can kind of see there's like, there's a pretty big breadth to how he can draw. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's really neat stuff. Yeah, I remember first, him first coming to my attention back in the Quasar days. And I think I was like the only dude that actually liked Quasar, but he <laughs> he drew Quasar back in, in 
like the, I guess it would have been the nineties, probably early nineties. Um, yeah. And I always, I always liked his style. It was very, he was very Andy Smith back then. And he's kind of, so at, at one point he and Todd McFarlane were kind of alternating on spawn. And, uh, then he just took it over completely. So for a while there, he was, he started out inking McFarlane's spawn stuff. And then he went back and started penciling it and McFarlane would ink it. And so he, there's like a ton of McFarlane influence there. He's, he's in his like mid forties. So he's kind of contemporary with all those guys, Jim Lee and, and yeah. all those guys. So, That's yeah. kind of what I wondered. Uh, the other thing is even just from the cover, which is pretty sweet. And so are some of the alternate covers it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like, there's a very, a very kind of Frazetta feel to it, yes. which is pretty neat, very at least in the background. So, yeah, it's really neat. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool book. Uh, that will do it for our picks of the week. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the comic previews. So um, every month, comic stores order comics three months in advance with very little knowledge of what they're actually going to be getting. So this right now is the October previews for comics shipping in February. There's some interesting stuff coming out. Angel Catbird, which is by Margaret Atwood, the first uh, issue of it, or the first, sorry, graphic novel of it just got released at the end, no, the beginning of September. I think it was like the first week of September. And it's already been on the the bestseller list. It's uh, it's it's done really really well. So already the second volume is coming out in February, which is kind of unheard of in the world of like novels. So it's interesting that Margaret Atwood, who's a very famous Canadian author, is jumping into graphic novels and just like churning them out, which is great. <laughs> so yeah, Dark Horse sees uh, Angel Catbird hardcover volume two in February. That looks pretty interesting. From Dynamite Entertainment, something I know you're going to groove on. Uh, Wonder Woman, Bionic Woman, 1977. So it's a crossover of of Bionic Woman and Wonder Woman from 1977 as if it was going on like in 77. That sounds really fun. Yeah, no doubt. The, uh, the, the log line of it says... Uh, now Diana Prince meets Jamie Summers, or should we say Wonder Woman meets the Bionic Woman in this action-packed miniseries. The two television titans team up to fight a rogue cabal bent on wreaking havoc and stealing deadly weapons. Looks cool. Yeah, the, the Wonder Woman TV series, was that not set during World War II? The first season is, and then it changes. So, yeah, it's super odd, and I only learned that a couple of years ago. I was, as you know, I'm I don't know that I'm a huge fan of Wonder Woman, but I really like when she was re-envisioned in the, I guess, late 60s, early 70s yeah, yeah. with the new costume. And so I, I was kind of buying a bunch of those key books. And uh, yeah, so I did a lot of reading on Linda Carter and Wonder Woman. I think Linda Carter is like one of the best embodiments of a superhero ever. It's just oh, yeah, the show sure. is so of its time. Yeah. But it's too bad. It's too bad you couldn't see what it would be like with her nowadays if you did, you know. A kind of modern show but i think she's like a really perfectly cast wonder woman um i agree yeah. but yeah and then i mean obviously that show mainly works because of linda carter and then i guess the bionic woman is similar in that they found was it pam dauber who played her but yeah, um, yeah and... that doesn't sound right to me though 
no i think she was like originally and then um what's her name um oh, blonde uh lindsey what's her name right. it was lindsey something or other why did I think it? Yeah, you're way right. I'm totally wrong. Pam Dauber's from uh, Mork and Mindy. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, was it Lindsay Wagner? Yes, Lindsay Wagner. That's it. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Very cool. So I think her performance was like crazy as well in that she really embodied that that role. and Because uh, I think it went longer than the $6 million man actually. I yes, don't think it had think more it seasons, but I think it survived longer kind of after the fact. Yeah, because it came on like the the second or third season of the the Six Million Dollar Man, and then it lasted three seasons. I think the Six Million Dollar Man only lasted three or four seasons as well. So, oh, it lasted five seasons. So, yeah, no, it looks like that's Liam's erroneous fact of the week. It well, ended the same season, 1977 to 78. Yeah, that's like, I'm just looking at, yeah. So they both ended at the same time. That's interesting. So, hmm. yeah, they're both really neat shows. I really liked The Six Million Dollar Man when I was a kid. But now I had two erroneous facts, to be fair. Isn't that had, funny? I'm looking at the running time, and they were 48-minute episodes. So there was four minutes less of commercials back then. Because an hour-long show is 44 now. The thing that blows my mind about that stuff is you look at some of the seasons and it's like 28 episodes. I know. And it's sort of, what? Really? They shot that many episodes? It's crazy. But this one looks like the last season was 22 episodes. But yeah, so I had two erroneous facts, to be fair. Pam Dauber and Bionic Woman went longer. (laughs) So... Let's just keep it real. Uh, let's talk about Image Comics Motor Crush, which is the team behind Batgirl. So that's uh, Babs Tar and I think Carl Kershaw, I believe. It looks kind of interesting. It uh, It's a story about a, like a motorcycle racing girl named Domino Swift who also cracks heads of rival gangs at night. And uh, yeah, it looks, looks kind of fun. They're off of Batgirl now. And so, yeah, getting that team back together. Plus there's going to be a prologue of Isola by Brendan Fletcher and Carl Kershaw. Who, I love Carl Kershaw's art. He's a Toronto guy and he's, he's responsible for Charles the Abominable Snowman, which is one of my favorite uh, <laughs> web comics out there. Also from Image Comics, Rockstars, which is by Joe Harris and uh, a newcomer named Megan Hutchison. Looks really interesting. It's uh, about a, a group of unsolved murders from the 1970s, which resumes in present day Los Angeles. And nobody really makes the connection except for a rock nerd with a strange connection to the music's urban legend. So that looks kind of fun. Moving on to Marvel Comics, Civil War 2 hardcover. Issue 7 isn't even out yet, but they're already soliciting the hardcover for issue for, for the series. Um, the Civil War 2 has been interesting, and what I think is the most interesting is how it's kind of... It looks like it's going to totally upend the Marvel Universe by the end of it. They're 
doing this really weird gender swapping thing where all their main characters, we've seen it with Thor. Um, oh gosh, just you go down the, the list and it's just like, used to be a dude, now now is a woman. Uh, the Hulk used to be Bruce Banner, now it's Amadeus Cho. And after this, the Hulk is going to be Jennifer Walters. So they're, they're doing this whole swap thing, which is great. Um, interesting new stories. The Thor stuff is really, really fascinating. I've been reading it on Marvel Unlimited. Um, so, so we'll see where all this goes. I hope that it kind of leads into some sort of reboot because we've talked about this many times. I don't know what's going on with Marvel. And, and I wish I did, but I cannot follow it right now. And part of that's because they're publishing 90 some odd books a month. Like, unbelievable. Nobody can keep up with that. Uh, it is crazy. So, I mean, I just don't read anything by Marvel right now. I'm not sure uh, when that may change, but it just seems pretty inscrutable. And your, uh, your comment about the Inhumans versus the X-Men is a good one. It like the Inhumans factor into anything I pick up and I'm just sort of, maybe I'm just not familiar enough with the, the whole mythology, but it's right now it doesn't really interest me that much. Although I did read an issue of vision, which you had told me to kind of pick oh, up and I've got so to, good. I've got to go back in the run and start restart it. Um, Cause I mean, it was an issue where uh, like I just, I think issue 11 or something and Victor Mancha gets, uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, he's, you, he's you've got it. to read the first issue because the first issue tells you what's going to happen in the last issue and they haven't released the last issue yet, but it's literally at the beginning of the first issue. It says basically that vision goes crazy and is going to kill a whole bunch of people. And like they introduce people and say, they die and and explain how they die. <laughs> and you're just like, this is awesome. So then everything is just about how you get there. It's the journey to it. Yeah, it's Vision's my favorite Marvel book they're doing right now. And that's the interesting thing is that Marvel is trying a bunch of different genres. I mean, even with this Marvel Now thing, they're reintroducing Slapstick, who is this dumb, really goofy character. But with Squirrel Girl and Deadpool taking off like it might be the right time for slapstick they've got rocket raccoon as a solo series and gamora as a solo series which is good because i don't know if you saw the trailer for guardians of the galaxy that just came out today i did that's awesome i love how they're calling it like guardians of the galaxy volume two and the tagline for the movie is obviously <laughs> <laughs> it's just so awesome oh i love it yeah, that, that that's going to be fun. So so it's good that they're kind of tying that stuff in as well. Yeah, I was actually hoping in the in the trailer that you get a hint for uh, any characters from the Marvel universe who might make a cameo in that film. Yeah, I think they've got so much time that I think this was yeah, just they, like to remind you that they still exist. Yeah, for sure. I just thought it was really neat because I kind of, I mean, I know like. Some of the characters, um, there are just characters they've introduced who I think would be really neat to see in that universe, like Black Panther, for instance. Yeah, and, yeah. And Spider-Man, maybe. So, yeah, anyway. no, I totally agree. Totally agree. My last pick for the month is going to be Valiant Entertainment's Divinity 3 Stalinverse. Now, I got to admit, I haven't really paid much attention to Valiant recently, but I did pick up a couple of these Divinities a while ago because Trevor Hersine, who 
is one of those humanoids dudes who's done like meta barons and stuff that I can't understand, but mm -hmm. that I buy because it looks cool. Um, he drew the first of the Divinity series. And so it's basically about a Russian dude who disappeared in the far reaches of the cosmos, who comes back, who bends reality. And he's basically taken, he, he's very communist. So he's now um, converted the entire Valiant universe into a Stalin verse where Stalin is, is the Lord and master. And uh, there's only two guys in the entire Valiant universe who, who know anything about it. What's cool about Valiant is you're going to hear a lot about them in the next few years because they're making a massive media pitch uh, push. Um, I forget which big company it was. It's might be Sony. Somebody just bought the rights to all the Valiant stuff. There's a big, huge multimedia presence about to be made so uh it, it, valiant's gonna be here soon and and uh god help us all <laughs> that may be too melodramatic <laughs> uh let's talk our cover story dr strange the movie's coming out in i believe three weeks i think it's the same week that we're uh doing our live podcast at the four city comic-con liam mm -hmm. um it's the I think the weekend of the fourth. This one is is shaping up really well. Uh, they've done some awesome promotions for it. the The latest trailer looks really cool. It's like it's like Interstellar or uh, Inception on training wheels. I think my kids will be able to understand it, but I couldn't still put them in front of Interstellar and and get them to understand <coughs> it. But yeah, it looks uh, looks super cool. Yes, I don't know that I agree. No, you I don't think, think it so? looks kind of terrible. I also, I hope you're wrong. I I also think that it is really way beyond time that we cast like Asians as Asians. Like it's pretty weak. Like um, if yeah. it's as egregious as people have mentioned it being, I mean, I don't I don't really get it. There's like a million Asian dudes who could play that part. So that seems a bit weird to me. That doesn't make the movie bad per se. I mean, but it's pretty, pretty lame. But it's Tilda so, Swinton. I mean, if you're going to cast anybody as a weirdo. In like <laughs> a weirdo, an Asian person. Um, so were the, you were you equally enraged when when Ken Watanabe was uh, cast as Reza Al Ghul? No. <laughs> he didn't end up even being Reza Al Ghul. That was actually like <laughs> I was so excited about that casting. I thought that was so awesome that that Ken Watanabe was was the master of these like ninjas and everything. And then it turned out it was really Liam. Neeson. Yeah. So I mean, I just that that seems like such a huge misstep. That, yeah. That's that fair. It, it makes me question whether. Um, yeah, I just don't. I mean, in the world where Fast and the Furious makes a hundred million dollars, there's not even a like a money kind of reason to not cast people as the proper races and stuff. I don't even get it, but yeah. No, and it would I digress. Cool if it was but, somebody like Jet Li, you know, like oh, somebody who's awesome. just kind of past their prime, but who could totally play. Oh, that'd be super cool. Well, I mean, you got Donnie Yen in uh, in the Rogue One, which yep. looks really awesome. Yeah, and uh, that's pretty cool. So, 
So I thought I'd do a quick little Stephen Strange 101. Um, Dr. Stephen Strange was originally a brilliant, gifted, and incredibly arrogant neurosurgeon who was involved in a car accident that basically left him in a coma and totally ruined his hands. So he goes on a quest to figure out how to heal himself. And during that quest, he discovers magic and mysticism. He goes on to train to become a master of martial arts, as well as a master of the mystic arts, which is kind of an interesting, like, 70s trope, right? Like, so many of the Marvel things also had to do with martial arts in the, in this like seventies. Absolutely. Cause it was such a big hot thing because of Bruce Lee and things like that. Um, Steve Ditko, who originally created uh, Dr. Strange and, and who interestingly, he wrote like a five page treatment of it, gave it to Stanley and Stanley said, yeah, we're going to do this. And, and the story isn't great, but we're going to give it a shot and we'll see where it goes. Um, so he, one of the very few instances where Stan gave full credit to his co-creator on it and said, this was actually Ditko's Stanley, I think only co-wrote the first couple issues and then Ditko took it over for the next, I think about 12 or so. Ditko also did some of the most amazing. I, I have been emailing you this week and I said, I'm pretty sure that uh, Jim Steranko did mm-hmm. a bunch of uh no it was Ditko and it's like so Storenko-ish and just crazy and psychedelic and but there is even, some I did find some Storenko work on Doc Strange it yeah? didn't look like a lot but it looked like he did do um like an issue or two well the stuff so that I've always totally kind of attributed to Storenko it turns out was definitely Ditko double page spreads and and like Things that I just for sure thought were Stranko were, were not. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really interesting. He he really kind of channeled the psychedelia of the time. And uh, I mean, Ditko is just such an interesting cat to begin with. Like just reading stories about get Ditko. He uh, whew, what a great what a great story his is and how he's just kind of become this recluse who doesn't really do anything with comics, but still his art's out there and he's doing new stuff all the time. Hmm. Uh, so after Ditko would be written by a succession of writers, including Bill Everett, Mary Severn, Dan Atkins, and finally Roy Thomas. So it was just like a great kind of who's who of uh, people that wrote it. And then it was canceled in the 1973. I think it was, I found this really great quote from comic book nation. Steve Ditko contributed some of his most surrealistic work to the comic book and gave it a disorienting hallucinogenic quality. Dr. Strange's adventures take place in a bizarre world and twisting dimensions that resemble Salvador Dali paintings inspired by the Pulp Fiction magicians of Stan Lee's childhood, as well as contemporary beat culture. Dr. Strange remarkably predicted the youth counterculture's fascination with both Eastern mysticism and psychedelia. Never among Marvel's more popular or accessible characters, Doctor Strange still found a niche audience among those seeking a challenging alternative to more conventional superhero fare. So when it got cancelled, it was selling about 40% of its 400,000 copy a month run. Um, So back in the day, you used to buy comics at newsstands. Newsstand stuff is fully returnable, so they would strip the covers, send the the covers back, and they'd get their refund for, for whatever was out there on the newsstand. 
Um, so a 40% of 40, 400,000 is like 160,000 today. That would be considered, you know, a top 10 best-selling comic. But back in the day, that was, that was bad because you were basically pulping ha more than half of your print run. So not a great, uh, not a great strategy. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of Doctor Strange in a nutshell. He's kind of come and gone over the years. He's one of those dudes that I've got a major blind spot to because I just don't find any of the magic stuff in Marvel or DC interesting. I've tried so many times. Like the latest series is written by Jason Aaron with art by Chris Bacalo, who's one of my favorite artists. And I just can't get into it. I just can't. It makes me sad. Well, I will add that the high point in my mind, and it probably has to do with my age, of Doctor Strange is actually the second series from 1974, which Frank Brunner drew. And his art is mind-blowing. I think that's one of those seminal runs of an artist who kind of changes comics after that run. And just right now, looking at the covers, of the, which is what I know, them, know best about them, I mean, he, no one was drawing like him in 1974. So... The it's oh, maybe the first thirty issues are Brunner covers and they're super super covers, um, yeah. So that's what I that's the only thing I ever knew about Doctor Strange was there was a run in the seventies that used to be able to pick up pretty cheap, mm -hmm. um, that was filled with kind of art that was on par I thought with Marshall Rogers or Neil Adams. Yeah, yeah and for sure. It's just a really neat guy who sort of didn't draw like everyone else. So I mean that that kind of stood out so to me about it gene uh, gene colin had a run on dr strange too and it was funny because like all these other dudes do the mystical stuff as very you know ethereal and very multicolored and and interesting and gene colin's take on it was just like black mm -hmm. <laughs> as much black as we can get <laughs> i love it it's good stuff, though. Yeah, I'm just looking through some of Bruner's stuff now, and you're right. He's kind of like the he he's like the iconic Doctor Strange artist. Yeah, it's really cool stuff. Actually, that cover for number two is really neat, and uh, his art reminds me most of Plug, actually. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So yeah, for sure, and his, but I mean, his, his like layouts are really interesting too. Does a lot of really cool stuff with the the white space between the panels and really interesting panel layouts, like diagonals that all lead up to a, a big picture and stuff. Really yeah, cool. he's got a yeah. There's a lot of like um, sort of muha style stuff in here. Too, yeah, I see that too. Which is yeah. really neat. Yeah. So yeah, he's really yeah. I just that sort of a pretty key. So I like it. I like it. Appreciation Good. of Doctor Strange. I'm going to tell you my favorite Doctor Strange story. It's a uh, it's a 19, well, I want to say like 90, I think it was like 93 or 94 um, graphic novel. It's called Doctor, Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment. And it's some really awesome Mike Mignola art where the, the, the logline for it is every year on Midsummer's Eve, Dr. Victor Von Doom clashes with the forces of evil in a vain attempt to free his mother's soul from hell. Only when Dr. Stephen Strange, master of the mystic arts and Earth's sorcerer supreme, is convinced to join the fight does the outcome have any hope of changing. 
But first, these unlikely allies must journey to Mephisto's infernal realm, where they find the cost of one soul, maybe more than they're willing to pay. So this is before Hellboy, and it's Mignola at kind of his peak. Like, he was so good during this. It's available on Marvel Unlimited. I saw it on Comixology as well. Uh, Just such a great, great story. I highly recommend that one. Very cool. I will actually try and dig that up. Cool. I think that's really it for me this week. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, I do not, sir. Well, then let's remind the people one more time that they can not see us at the Forest City Comic Con. Actually, <laughs> really can, but Liam is nervous. Um, so, you know, don't do come and see us uh, at that show November 4th and 5th. And uh, we will see you next week with, with an episode that we haven't quite figured out what's going to be in it, but it'll be great. I guarantee it. Absolutely. All right. For Sequential Fiction, I'm Brian Garside. And I'm Liam Nickerson. Stay frosty. Nice. I think that's going to be your official one. Yeah, I think so too.